This is our last week for the Guess Who series. We were originally saying it was going to be five weeks, but we're really excited for our next series, so we figured we'd bring it to you a week early. It's all about how the church is sent. That's the title, sent, and how we are sent. So we're going to dig into that next week. Uh, but right now, we're going to finish off Guess Who in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and chapter 12. So since this is the last week for Guess Who, why not start with a guessing game, right? Who likes guessing games? Huh? Maybe you might say right now your life kind of feels like a guessing game. Maybe, I, I don't know. I'm going to show you a mask, and you tell me who the mask belongs to, okay? Easy as that. Here's a mask. Who is it? Spider-Man. Peter Parker. Okay, I like that. Yeah. Easy one, right? Pretty easy. Here's a mask. Batman. Bruce Wayne. Awesome. I see a trend forming right here. How about this mask? The Flash. Is that his real name? Flash Gordon? I don't know. Is it really? Okay. Here's another mask. Steve Rogers, nice. Captain America, okay. How about this one? I think this is the last one. Green Lantern, ooh, I see some hesitancy. Yeah, it's like a cartoon rendition. I get that it might be a, a little trickier. I can understand that. Guessing the mask fitting to the person. Uh, we're going to be talking about some people who refer to themselves as super and war disguises. Did you realize that was a thing in the Bible? Although they're not superheroes, we're going to find out. Why don't we open with a word of prayer, and then we'll dig in. We'll get a little more spiritual in our discussion this morning. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to praise you so much for who you are today. Thank you for the opportunity to have fun and to laugh and to celebrate. Thank you that the first meteorological day of spring is tomorrow. Uh, we just want to praise you for the warm weather coming, for your promise of a new day, a new season. Uh, we thank you for the sun that's always shining beyond the clouds, Father. Thank you for your promises to us. You are the way maker, the promise keeper. Uh, we just want to praise you this morning. We pray now as we dig into your word uh, that you would give us discernment, Father, that we wouldn't go through life guessing, uh, but we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. Thank you for who you are to us today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Corinth. Uh, this is a little clip of Google Maps. Here's where Corinth is located, just next to Athens, Mediterranean Sea. And I want to point out Jerusalem. Do you see Jerusalem way down here in the bottom corner? Look, look how far the gospel has traveled from Resurrection Sunday all the way. Now Paul is in Corinth. Paul spent a year and a half in Corinth with the people of Corinth, leading people to Christ, planting a church there. Now, Corinth is a unique spot. Corinth is literally a melting pot, like a cultural funnel um, for, for the whole ancient world, really. It's located in a really unique area. Now, I've been trying to pronounce this all morning to see if I can get it right. This, this is an isthmus. Try saying that. That's the hardest word I'm going to say all day. Isthmus. Uh, it's this narrow bridge of land that Corinth is located in. Now, when people traveled in ships from Rome, which is up here, down to Jerusalem or down to Egypt, uh, potentially they would go through this pass. 
Now, back in the day, it was really difficult to lift a ship over land, but sometimes they would do it using logs and beams and block and tackle, I'm sure, maybe teams of horses to get it across the land. If it was too big, they would unload the cargo, carry it over the land to another ship, and then continue on, and it would save miles and miles of journey under the tip of Greece here. So it's a port city, lots of people traveling through. But it's also on a really important road going from southern Greece to Athens. So everybody traveling the road would go through Corinth. Do you see how it's like this, this mixing pot for culture? All of the world is traveling through Corinth. Now in Corinth, you have the temple to the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of lust. You have all of uh, these philosophers, intellectuals, academics, a lot of culture, a lot of economy, a lot of arts, a lot of uh, theater, Greek theater, ancient Greek theater, right here in Corinth. Paul spent a year and a half of his life there. And then as Paul did, he moved on to another area that needed to hear about Jesus. After traveling to another area, he heard word that the church in Corinth wasn't doing well. So he wrote them a letter. Hence, 1 Corinthians. The first letter from Paul to the church in Corinth. And he addresses five issues. So I'm going to give you the book of 1 Corinthians... (laughs) In about a minute and 40 seconds. Are you ready? Uh, Issue number one, divisions. Some preferred a guy named Apollos. And Paul says, that's ridiculous. We're all serving God. Jesus is the center. Number two, sex. We're talking about incest. We're talking about prostitutes in the temple. And they were saying, it's okay, bro. God's grace covers it. Right? I don't know if you watched The Bachelorette, but this was all over social media years ago when... Hannah, I think it was Hannah B, said, yes, I've had sex, and Jesus still loves me. And that was a meme that was going around. Well, yeah, God still loves you, but Jesus died for your sin. Number three, food. Chapters 8 to 10, meat sacrifice to false gods. Don't eat it if it communicates your loyalty to another god. But if you're in private, you need to realize it's just food. Go ahead and eat it. If you're not offending anybody... It's food. Food is food. Number four, the weekly worship gathering was chaotic. People speaking in tongues, no interpreters, everybody's want to speak, prophecy. There's no leadership. It's just all over the place. And Paul says there needs to be order. There needs to be unity in the spirit. You're all one body with many members. And then number five, Jesus' resurrection. That's like the gem at the top of the crown. If you're questioning the resurrection... Uh, Paul's going to call you out because all of our faith hangs on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. So that's 1 Corinthians in five points. But let me point out one more thing about 1 Corinthians. You may have never guessed it, hence the title of our series, guess who? But Paul was weak. He was weak in bodily appearance. He was weak in speech. Sometimes Paul got scared. Sometimes Paul was so fearful, he was trembling. You picture being the evangelist, the church planner, to go to a place like Corinth, and you have sailors going to the temple for prostitution as their cargoes being carried across the city. Like, how do you be Jesus in that environment? His personal evangelism was weak, scared. Strategically, he did not preach with powerful words or wisdom. 
Maybe that's surprising to us. Look at this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul speaking to the Corinthians. And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided, this is his strategy, he made this decision beforehand, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. How simple is that? I love the simple, pure gospel. Look what he says next. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom. He didn't try and impress them with wisdom, but in demonstrations of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Praise God. Paul wasn't trying to impress them or draw the attention to himself. He was trying to reflect the attention back to God because it was God's power working these demonstrations through him. Does that surprise you? I mean, wouldn't you guess Paul to be, like, I mean, just a couple weeks ago, we were talking about Saul the persecutor, like a ravenous dog going from house to house, pulling women and men, and now we see him weak, fearful, trembling. Paul was human. Paul was like you and me. The key player in the New Testament through God's power was human, like you and me. He was afraid. He was scared. That gives me hope. I can relate to that. Uh, and then we come to the book of 2 Corinthians. So why a second letter? Why did he have to write two? Well, potentially he wrote a number of letters and only two of them are inspired and in the canon of scripture. But the second letter was written after he had to return and visit in person. What kind of visit would that be like? Uh, he says it was a painful visit. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, a lot of tough conversations. It's like when a friend ghosts you and then you run into them at the grocery store and you call them out, why didn't you answer my messages? It's awkward, it's painful, right? Or like maybe your mom says, this room better be clean by the time I get back and then you stay in bed and you can hear her marching up the steps. It's going to be a painful conversation. Paul had to make a second visit and it was painful. And then he had to write a letter. Paul says he wrote this letter with anguish and tears. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 7. Because many, if not most of the Corinthian church, were sorry. They wanted to make things right. They wanted to reconcile. They wanted to repent and move forward. So Paul wrote this letter to reassure him of his love and his commitment to them. In the first seven chapters, we see tones of reconciliation along with rebuke. Uh, the Corinthians had disregarded and rejected Paul and his first letter because he was poor. He made a, a meager living. He was often homeless, often suffering. They, they were even ashamed of Paul when they were impressed with wealthier, more talented speakers. They actually requested letters of recommendation from Paul. Can you imagine? You spent a year and a half of your life traveling from to spending time with 
teaching, investing, all of this mentoring and leading, seeing the church born, sending other visitors, writing letters, coming back for a visit, and then to have them say, yeah, by the way, uh, could you give us a letter of recommendation so we can authenticate all that you've done for us all of these years? Like, wouldn't that burst your balloon? Have you, ever, have you ever invested so much time and energy and years and tears into a mentoring, a leading relationship just to have that person turn their back on you and say, you know what, I don't know if I can trust what you have to say. I don't know if you have enough experience. I don't really agree with your opinion. I'm just going to kind of... Have you ever raised a teenager? <laughs> can I say that? It's hard, isn't it? Super apostles is who we're going to be talking about. Where was all of this discrimination coming from? Where, where was all of this prejudice against Paul coming from? Why was the Corinthian church questioning his authority, his rejecting his message? 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is the reason we started with talking about superheroes today. Paul brings up the super apostles. Yes, the super apostles. You've heard of the Justice League, right? This is the super apostles. He's being facetious when he uses that term, but that's really who they thought they were. That's how they promoted themselves. We are the super apostles. Can you imagine? Hey, I'm, I'm Super Josh. <laughs> Good to meet you. Like how? You see, when Paul would plant a church in a new city and then he'd move on to a new area because more people had to hear about Jesus Christ, false teachers would sneak in behind him to that young church that was still in the early years of development and snatch those seeds, twist the truth, grab them while they were weak and immature. Um, Acts chapter 20 and verse 29 Paul says, talking to the church in Ephesus, I know that after my departure, after I leave, planted the church and leave, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. They don't, they don't speak a new truth. They take the truth and twist it. That's Satan's tactic, right? Just add a little bit to it, take a little bit from it, twist it to draw away the disciples after them. Those are Paul's words to the Ephesian church. Paul knew this was happening. He wasn't unaware. He knew it was happening in the Corinthian church, and that's why he wrote this. It reminds me of what Jesus said. He, he said it in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Ravenous, that term that was used of Saul the persecutor. Wolves in sheep's clothing, you've heard that term, right? Comes from the Bible. People who sneak in with ulterior motives, twisting the truth. These super apostles would claim that Paul and his message were lacking. If you just add this and supplement it with this, have an extra spiritual experience, pray for the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues, let's add all of these things in, then you will have a well-rounded and wholesome gospel. But Paul, his gospel, it's not enough. It's like the, the modern consumeristic marketing mentality that we have. Let's just add a little bit more and add a little bit more. And your life doesn't feel complete yet? Well, let's add a little bit more. 
2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, our text for today. Paul says to the Corinthian church, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul is saying, I am your father in the faith. I'm the one who held your hand and brought you to Jesus for the first time. I helped to found and to plant this church. And I'm worried that instead of seeking Jesus with all sincerity and purity, you're going to be fractured and fragmented and follow just like Satan deceived Eve with his cunning in the garden when he said, did God really say? And he took that truth and he twisted it. Paul is jealous for the Corinthian church that they would have one focus and one love, their first love, Jesus Christ and the pure gospel. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 13. He's talking about these super apostles, helping us understand who they are. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. It's deceptive, disguised, cunning, crafty. Just a slight twist to the truth. They're hiding behind a hypocritical persona to gain the trust of the Corinthian church. They're pretending they're people who actually look like they care for the church and want to lead the church towards Jesus, but in fact they have ulterior motives. Here's where I want to land today. Let's stop guessing. Let's take guesswork out of the truth. There is absolute truth. We don't need to go through this life with uncertainty, doubting, tossed to and fro like every wind of doctrine, like a boat in the waves of the sea. We can be sure as to what we believe. We can be sure of the gospel. We don't have to guess. We don't have to leave the gospel up to guesswork. So I'm going to make this way oversimplified because I want you to remember it. But I'm going to give you just three points. Three ways that you can spot a false teacher. Three ways. So if you're taking notes, write one, two, three, and we're going to fill them in together. Number one, three ways that you can identify a false teacher. What did they say about Jesus? That's number one, isn't it? What did they say about Jesus? Look at what these super apostles were saying about Jesus. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 4. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit than the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. We don't have to complicate this. These super apostles are coming into the church and proclaiming another Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. First mark of a false teacher. Who do they say Jesus is? What do they say about Jesus? 
Are they trying to present something new, something catchy, something flashy, something that hasn't been seen before? That's a real temptation as a teacher. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. You put up with it readily enough. The, the New Living Translation says that last line like this. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you. I like that. Uh, the Berean Study Bible puts it like this. You put up with it way too easily. The Corinthian church is just receiving it so nonchalantly and easily. They're not doing their due diligence. They're just accepting it, dwelling on it, listening to it, watching it, not switching the channel, not putting any thought into it, not doing their due diligence. It's called discernment. They have no discernment. They're not doing the checks that they should. We're way too quick to believe whatever we hear, aren't we? We don't, we don't do a lot of fact-checking. Maybe you're the type of person who does. Maybe you're the type of person who doesn't, has, has a struggle to trust, has a struggle to believe, and, and maybe, maybe you fall on the opposite end of the spectrum, but I believe most of us need to work on our discernment because we are way too quick to believe everything we hear. How many times have you been in this conversation in the last 12 months? Did you hear what the government's going to do? Did you hear about the lockdown that's coming? Did you hear about the new protocols? Did you hear about the charges that the government is going, right? And then what do we do with that? Do we go back to the article? Do we ask for a reference? Do we study into it? Or do we run into someone at the grocery store and say, I just heard, did you? And how much fact-checking do we do? In our, in our social media, Instagram culture, we see a quote, we see a post, we see a book recommendation, we see a song recommendation, and we just plug and play. We like and comment and share. We don't, how many times do we actually read the author's biography? How many times do we actually do some research on the lyrics of the song? How many times do we find out who made that quote and why did they make that quote and what season of life were they in when they made that quote rather than just posting it as our story for the day? Discernment. Look at uh, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2. I'll read it for you. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. How you cannot bear with those who are evil. You can't put up with them. But have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And found them to be false. Tested apostles. Found them to be false. Look at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know. It doesn't have to be guesswork. You can know the Spirit of God. Look, look how you can know. And remember our first point. What do they say about Jesus? You can know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. How do you spot a false teacher? What do they say about Jesus? Does it line up with the rest of Scripture? And newsflash, if you don't know the rest of Scripture, if you haven't spent time in the rest of Scripture, then fulfilling that question is going to be tough. 
discernment. Discernment is the ability to judge well. In this whole series of guess who, we've been talking about the dark side of judgment. Judging people and saying, those people, God, they're never going to be in the church. They're never going to darken the door of the church. Why would I tell them about Jesus? They're never going to, judging a book by its cover, that, the dark side of judgment. But there is a good side of judgment. Did you know that? And it's called discernment. Judging rightly. Not, not putting guesswork into the gospel. Judging rightly on truth. We have to discern. We have to test. What do they say about Jesus? The super apostles were preaching a different Jesus and the church was just jumping on board way too easily. Just putting up with it. On the other hand, Paul presented the simple truth of Jesus Christ in the language for the people to understand. He made it plain. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2. Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why do we have to make it more complicated than that? Why, why do we have to add to that? Jesus died for you. That's the gospel. God loves you so much that he didn't want to leave you in your sin and condemnation. Jesus came, lived a sinless life, died on your place on the cross to bring you forgiveness and newness of life so that you can have a relationship with God. That's the gospel. Jesus died for you. Paul makes it clear. He makes it plain. He doesn't have to use fancy language or try and impress them with his wisdom or linguistics. He just makes it plain and easy. Jesus died for you. Can't make it any more simple. So number one, what do they say about Jesus? Number two, what do they say about themselves? You ever pay attention to what people say about themselves? How they refer to themselves? How they, how they phrase stories and conversations about themselves? It's telling, very telling. This is what Paul says they're accusing him of in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 5, our text for today. He says they're calling him inferior to these super apostles, which in contrast, they're calling themselves superior. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, they were challenging his skill in speaking because they believed they were very skillful in speaking. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 12, those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work in the same terms as we do. They're on the same level as the apostles, the ones who spent time in the presence of Jesus and were sent out and commissioned by Jesus himself. They're saying they're on the same level in their boasted mission. It's all about them. It's all about them. Professional. Trained speakers, intellectuals, philosophers, they charged money for people to attend their talks and listen to them. In short, it's all about them. They're arrogant, they're prideful, boasting, always talking about their accomplishments, their position, their authority, their experience. Have you ever listened to somebody who just talked the whole time about themselves? Should be a red flag, shouldn't it? Always be discerning of someone who believes it's all about them. Why do we get so enamored with talented, popular, celebrity figures? I mean, we'll take a Jennifer Aniston quote like it's something we should live our life by. Well, they're famous. They have followers. They, they must have figured something out. They must have figured out a level of success. Maybe if I liken my life to theirs, but not so fast. 
That, that YouTuber that you religiously watch and quote doesn't know you and therefore doesn't care about you and doesn't love you. That Instagram influencer from California who's teaching you how to fluff your pillows and paint your walls, guess what? They don't know you. They're not going to be there when you're in the storms of life. They don't care about you. They care about that number that pops up on the screen, that little thumb that jumps up, the analytics at the end of the week. Same with the super apostles. They they were just trying to, to move their own careers forward, to gain more of an audience, more of a of a platform. We've got to get discernment. On the other hand, we have Paul, who has no problem talking about his weakness instead of boasting in his strength. His lack of skill when it comes to speaking, he sarcastically begins to compare his credentials with the super apostles. And I just, I want to read this to you. We won't put it on the screen. I'm just going to go fast. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-two. Paul says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Listen to this. I'm a better one. <laughs> I'm talking like a madman, of course, he says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one, because 40 will kill you, so we'll just give you 39 five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. How does somebody get shipwrecked three times if they're not in professional shipping? How does that three times? Um, Night and day I was adrift at sea. Frequent journeys, dangers of rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure of my anxiety for all the churches." Did you just get a snapshot of all that Paul has been through to serve these people? All that Paul has subjected himself to for the sake of the gospel? And look at what he says, 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 30. Paul says, if I must boast, I'll boast of the things that show my weakness. My weakness. In our Instagram culture, we we love to post success, don't we? We love to hide failure. We love to promote our strengths, hide our weaknesses. Paul could have gone on and on about his accomplishments. In fact, then we jump to chapter 12 in 2 Corinthians, and he starts out with a paragraph all about his experience of being caught up to the third heaven. First heaven is the clouds, the second is the stars, potentially the third is heaven where God dwells, and Paul is taken up to heaven, maybe in a vision, maybe in body, and he sees heaven. That would be something to post on your social media, wouldn't it? Hashtag blessed, hashtag life goals. Like, why wouldn't you promote that? Instead, Paul sums it up in a a little paragraph just to say, I could boast. I could tell you things that nobody's seen before. But instead, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 6. 
If I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. Paul could back it up with his life. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Paul's goal and aim in life wasn't that people would think more of him, but that he would point to the one that they should think of more. That he wouldn't impress them, but that he would point to the one who is impressive. Paul wasn't there to impress people. Just let me read this quickly, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that we just talked about, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Have you heard this? This is the most popular part of chapter 12. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. We all need people in our life to burst our bubble once in a while, right? Keep our head from getting swollen. God sent, verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then am I strong. That thorn in the flesh wasn't a splinter. The Greek language makes it look more like the stakes that Emperor Nero would put the Christians on before he burned them in his garden. That's a lot more painful and graphic, isn't it? The pain that Paul experienced, whatever this thorn in the flesh was, created a void, created a platform, created a space for the power and the strength and the glory of God to be present and evident in his life. Therefore, he could say, I will boast in my weakness because when I am weak, then he is strong. What do they say about Jesus? Number two, what do they say about themselves? Number three, what do they say about you? 2 Corinthians eleven nineteen. For you gladly bear with fools. You put up with it so easily, being wise yourselves. For you, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you, takes advantage of you, puts on airs, strikes you in the face. It's a little bit facetious, isn't it? I, I can't imagine the super, the super apostles were actually doing this to the Corinthian church, but and how many times do we say, I'm just listening to this music because it's got a funky beat. But after a while, you have the lyrics memorized and you're humming them when the music isn't playing, right? Uh, you know, I just got into this show, but I don't know, it's just kind of, but then as you get through the episodes, your conscience gets seared and you justify that it's okay. And, and then eventually you're, you're quoting it, you're recommending it, and you're, you're thinking about it. No, false teaching doesn't have to happen from a platform in a church facility. Oftentimes, it happens from the social media platforms and the media that's all around us. What we hear, what we see, what we watch, what we listen to, it, it, it lingers, it lasts. I was having a conversation with Jim last Sunday after the service. He plays drums a lot of Sundays. We were just talking about music. And he was talking about how he can't go back to that rock music because... You just can't let that message sit on your spirit because it gets ingrained in you and those lyrics get stuck in you. I remember as a kid being told rap music is wrong, rock music is wrong. It just, it just brings out the aggression. I don't know if I'm getting older or what, but I'm, I'm starting to get back there because 
we just put up with this stuff and that it, it gets into our spirit, it gets into our minds, it gets into our hearts. What, who's got our ear? Who are we listening to? Who are we watching? You gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. And you let all this, these super apostles are taking advantage of the Corinthian church. They're slowly getting in there and taking advantage. A false teacher is always looking for something from you. They're not in it for you. They're looking for something from you. Accolades, experience, followers, fan base. But not so with Paul. Look at verse 7, 2 Corinthians 11. Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge? He didn't cost the church anything. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. Paul's heart is for the people. He doesn't want anything from the people. He's for the people. He went through all these hardships for the people. He loves the people. He's not trying to get something from them. He's for them. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 14. Here's the last scripture we'll end off with. Here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. He's ready to come for another visit. A lot of people would have thrown in the towel after letters and visits and a year and a half. He's ready for a third visit. He's going to go back. I will not be a burden for I seek not what is yours, but you. I don't want your stuff. I don't want your money. I don't want your honor. I don't want the nice things you have to say. I don't want your five-star rating. I don't want your comments on social media. I want you. Children are not obligated to save up for their parents. He goes back to this father of the bride picture. He's their father of the faith. But parents for their children. He's leaving an inheritance for them. Look at verse 15. I will most gladly spend and be spent. He'll go through more shipwrecks, more beatings, more stonings for your souls, for you. Verse 19. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It's in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. Paul's heart is for the people. He's not trying to impress them. He's not trying to show them how cool he is, how flashy, how trendy, how influential. He is for them because the gospel's for them. He does it free of charge because the gospel is free of charge. So let me summarize, and then we're going to be done for this morning. Paul didn't want anything from them. It's a sign of a, of a true teacher. Three ways to spot a false teacher. What do they say about Jesus? They're presenting something new, twisting the truth, trying to be catchy, flashy, trying to get a quote that'll get shared, go viral. What does our... Our core value of truth have to say about what people are saying about Jesus. Number two, what do they say about themselves? Are they prideful? Are they arrogant? Is it all about them and their accomplishments, their experiences? Number three, what do they say about you? Do they care about you? Do they even know you? Do they want something from you? Are they presenting God's gift to you, for you? Can I encourage us, church family? In this season, like never before, it's been so easy to take in content 
from all over the world. You've probably checked out other churches just like I've checked out other churches online because I want to see, I want to learn, I want to hear what they're speaking. But man, we have to be discerning. If we wake up in the morning and we get our, our daily bread from social media or Google or the radio or the TV, the video game, we need to be discerning. We need to get into God's word. We need to know who Jesus is. He is the word made flesh. If we're not in the word, we don't know Jesus. Let's be a discerning church. Can I pray for you as we close? Father God, I thank you for all that you've done for us. God, I think of this theme of discernment. So many of us have got our, our thinking twisted, maybe the truth that we've hold to twisted in this season. Because there are so many voices out there and we've allowed so many voices in us. God, I pray you'd forgive us. I pray you'd help us to repent. I pray you'd help us to come back to a sincere and pure gospel where Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins and there is salvation found in no one else. He's the way, the truth, and the life. God, help us to never supplement or add anything to the gospel. God, help us to be discerning. In Jesus' name, amen.